Hello, everyone, and welcome to the WMA podcast. My name is Abby Cormier, and I will be your host for today's episode. Joining us today is Jessica Willis, who is founder and CEO of Pocket Nest, a financial wellness platform based out of Detroit, Michigan. Jessica worked in wealth management for big firms before starting Pocket Nest. Jessica received her undergrad from University of Michigan and her MBA from Loyola of Chicago. In today's episode, we discussed her journey to her career in wealth management and starting Pocket Nest, as well as how being a part of boards has benefited her in her career, her overall outlook on the profession and thoughts, as well as lots of advice for young individuals and women entering the industry, plus so much more. Stay tuned. Good afternoon and welcome everyone. My name is Abby Cormier and I'm your host today for the MSU WMA podcast. I'm joined today by Jessica Willis and Jessica is founder and CEO of Pocket Nest out of Detroit. So thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me. Happy to be here, Abby. Awesome. So to get right along with the segment, Jessica, if you want to go ahead and just explain yourself, your journey and how you got to where you are. Yeah. So, um, as you said, my name is Jessica Willis. Um, right now, I am the founder and CEO of a company called Pocket Nest. Um, at Pocket Nest, we do financial wellness. Um, and when we say financial wellness, we mean comprehensive financial planning. So that that CFP curricula that um, probably many of your listeners are used to. Um, I've started this tech company, the startup, probably three to four years ago, um, but before that spent 20 years in uh, wealth management and investment advising for, of course, the high net worth group, because um, that's kind of how our industry is, is you need so much money to get good independent advice. Um, But I started this company because what I realized was that there was this big gap in the industry. Um, I had friends coming to me constantly asking me to take them through that same process that I was doing for my clients, because for my friends, they maybe didn't hit this, this significant amount of um, investable assets that one needs to get good independent advice. So I realized that, all right, we need to, someone needs to create tech um, that really uh, helps the financial institutions engage more broadly with a broader um, you know, socioeconomic range of people, but then also a, a younger, I think, demographic of individuals. So that's what we did. That's um, what we started at We've been launched for three years now, Um, Detroit-based startup, having a blast, working our tails off, um, but really having fun. Awesome. I really love that. I like your whole mission and objective behind Pocket Nest as well. What were some of the challenges you faced when starting three, four years ago with Pocket Nest? (laughs) Well, we don't have enough time to go through all of the challenges. (laughs) I mean, I could sum it up with just... Um, I went from traditional wealth management, that corporate world, to starting a startup in Detroit. So super, super different. Um, so I think I would sum it up with just, you know, I, recognizing, well, I would sum it up as I didn't know what I didn't know. But then that also kind of became what, what I think helped us as a company succeed is we're really quick to say we don't know what we don't know. And so we have just incredible advisors and investors and people in our community who will help us figure things out if there's something we don't know. Awesome. I know you said you worked in the industry for 20 some years before even going into Pocket Nest. What was that transition like going from advisor role to now CEO and founder? Yeah. Um, mostly fun. I mean, 
it, it definitely was, it definitely was, was hard because I went from, you know, first of all, um, especially being a little bit older than you and your, your listeners, definitely more male dominated industry than it is today. Although there's, it's still not, I think completely, um, you know, split. Um, so going from that, I just felt like it was like very professional, you know, um, lots of suits, of course. And then just there, there was always this, like, I don't know, this like need for me to, I always felt like I had to just kind of like be one step ahead of everybody and appear more on my game than I think any human being really is where now in the startup world, there, there's no problem saying like, I don't know, we have no idea what we're doing. We're figuring it out as we go because no one's built what we are building. And so, um, I think that's probably been the biggest blessing and also just like what, what has just felt so positive was not only going from like super formal everything to informal everything, but also just, I don't know, there's a lot more comfort and confidence in like, yeah, we don't know the answer and we don't care. And if you are going to have a problem with that, like we're probably not going to work together, but if you are happy to help us figure it out, let's, let's, you know, let's move forward together. That's fantastic. Maybe that's more age, honestly, Abby. I think, um, I think part of that too is just, just like growing up and being a little bit more comfortable in your skin. But um, yeah, that's definitely been more on the fun side. Awesome. That's such a great story. Kind of along the lines of just being a woman and being in the wealth management practice, what advice would you give to someone like me, to other women who are entering such a male dominated profession? Yeah. Um, I never felt like it was something that kept me back. Um, so I would say like, just try to find that confidence early on. Um, you know, sometimes it's a benefit to be the only female in the room. People remember you. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it was ever a challenge for me, even in the startup world. And, and there's so many stats that show um, in the startup world and venture world, the, the there's a much larger percentage of, of male founders that get funding the female founders. There's lots and lots of studies around that. Um, so I think the advice would just be like, accept it and, and don't let it get in your way. Um, you know, not necessarily like use it to your advantage. I, I don't, I don't know. I think there's might be something there in that just like be confident that, yeah, you're, you're the only female in the room or you're the youngest person in the room. I felt that a lot too, in my career as I was, um, even now in some of my roles, I'm on a, on a board, um, and I'm significantly younger than anybody else in the room. Um, it, it's fine, right? Like accept it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to be someone you're not, but, um, don't let it hold you back either. And sort of be unapologetically like, yeah, this is who I am and let's go, let's get to work. <laughs> That's great. I really like that. So I know you hold numerous board positions. How do you go about like getting a board position? What does that entail? What is all, what's all about that? Oh my goodness, Abby. I am so excited you asked me this question because um, this is my new thing that I'm trying to tell every young female that I mentor or just cross paths with as early as possible. And I'm sorry to target this to younger women, but it's just the way what I'm doing. <laughs> Try to find paid board seats to get onto because it is something we don't talk about enough and it is a significant, it can be a significant piece of your career. So not only a significant piece of your compensation, but a significant piece of your career, meaning networking, breaking through what could be old boys clubs in the old days. 
um, you know, getting to know different industries. So some of the boards, I and, and I'm not on a ton of boards by any means. I'm on um, I'm on two book paid board seats right now. One is with Mount Elliott Cemetery Association, which obviously has nothing to do with fintech, except that they are they have a significant endowment, and so there there's a lot of um, you know there's a financial piece there. But the point is, it's it's been an incredible incredible industry to get to know. Um, the individuals that I'm on that board with are just some of the most lovely human beings ever. And um, it, it's just, it's, it's deepening my career. It's, it's deepening what I've learned. So, um, and then the other one that I'm on is, is a, um, on a bank board, a bank advisory board. So, you know, that one is a lot more related to my industry, but again, because of the history of the bank, it's brought me into a different piece of my career. So my recommendation is get onto a board and that's so much easier said than done. But I would say the same way you think about trying to find a job, have it in the back of your mind. I want to get on a board, um, a paid board seat. And so what that means at, at your age, Abby, and kind of like your early twenties is probably doing a couple volunteer boards, get to know how boards work because there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuances, um, you know, find your role, find what you bring to that board and, and maybe listen more in the beginning than, than talk just so that you can kind of get a sense of what those board positions look like. Um, but just, I think as long as we are attentively and intentionally trying to find those board seats, by the time you get to your, you know, forties, like me, um, I, I think every woman in business should have a paid board seat that they're on to supplement, again, not only money, but also just experience and career. That's amazing. I'm I love that you asked that yeah. because that is I'm, something I've been going like very big on lately yeah. is why, why aren't we talking about this more yeah. when we talk to younger women and when we mentor younger women? Yeah. I remember I was so excited when I saw that on your profile, because I don't see people a part of boards very often. What is the time commitment to that? In addition to your, how do you balance the work full time? Yeah. It just depends on the board. So okay. I, again, I've been very intentional. I've said no to a couple board positions because they weren't going to fit into my, my schedule. There's a couple boards that meet in the evenings. Um, I have three children and a, and a husband, and I am very, 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 very protective over my evenings. That's my family time. I can go to board meetings easily during the day. Um, and I'm really outspoken about that because I think in my early the first couple of years after I had a child, I was, you know, still trying to kind of come across as like, oh, I can do it all. And, and, and then I realized, no, I, I don't want to sacrifice my family time to go network like that. That's not what I, and not to say that that's wrong for everybody, but, um, I just think, you know, you have to be very, you have to know what's important to you and then be protective over that time, because I think it's really important. So, um, yes, the board time commitment, it depends on the board. I mean, it's, it, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. It depends on the board. It's, they're usually monthly meetings. And then if you're on subcommittees, there might be a couple other meetings with that, but, um, you know, definitely well, well, well under a full-time job. Awesome. That's great. I know you touched a little bit on your family. What's the balance like now with you being more of a hands-on role with your current job? How are you managing your work-life balance? <laughs> um, uh, really well, I'm going to proudly say. Um, it's definitely easier now, even though so much more is on my shoulders. I'm able to, again, I think some of this is age and confidence, but I'm able to say, here's the company culture we want to grow. Um, you know, others on my team have children and, and even those without children, like they should and do have other personal interests that, um, 
I never wanted to be a company that like shuns people for not logging in at nine o'clock at night. I just think that's crazy and not necessary. So I find balance a lot easier now, especially with COVID because we're all kind of working from home um, than I did when I was um, more full-time. But I would say, you know, even from, from the time I had my first child who is now 13, um, I've had three different jobs over that time, Pocket Nest and then two different wealth advisory firms. Um, I always pushed for either a formal tailored work arrangement or an informal balance schedule. Um, so I think as women, especially when we have children, I think you just have to push for what you want and you're never, you're not going to get yeses all the time. But I think again, define what is perfect for you and then go after that. That's great. I think that's really important, especially as a woman in the career to know your boundaries, set your your work and everything. Yeah. I know you have a few different designations, CFP and then CPWA. Yeah. How do those differ? How did you go about getting both of those? What was that process like for you? Yeah. So the CFP, I think probably your audience knows the CPWA um, is, is very similar. This is my opinion. It's similar to the CFP. So a lot of similar content and topics. Um, It's run through IMCA instead of the CFP board. And so it's a different designation for me. What worked really well is I got my CFP when I had been I don't know, maybe five or six years out of college. Um, when I started at, at Plant Marine Financial Advisors, I wanted to get into that right away. So got my CFP. And then it was probably, gosh, maybe five or six years. And then I had heard about the CPWA designation and realized it would be a really good refresher into some of that content. So in some places, they went a little bit deeper. In some places, it was a little bit more high level. Um, The content is definitely not 100% the same, but there's a lot of overlap there. So for me, getting that CPWA was a really good refresher for me to get deeper into the content. That's amazing. Yeah, I've never, you're the first person I've heard of having this CPWA. So I was curious to learn more about how that's been a process for you. As far as your current day-to-day, what is your role within the company today and what are you doing on like a daily basis right now? I'm CEO and founder. Um, We have a total team of 19, but full-time team of six and an executive team of three. So um, you can kind of boil that back to um, Ashley, Chris, and I, which are the three executives, wear a lot of hats. So um, my, my technical role right now as CEO is, you know, running the company, but we're such a small company. We all work on everything and we all overlap. Um, you know, I think that the three of us specifically, actually all six of us, the full-time team, we, we know where our strengths end and we're again, unapologetically, like that's not my sweet spot. Let's push that to Chris or let's connect with Chris or Ashley. So, um, despite wearing a lot of hats, I think we all know where our strengths lie. So I I'm, I'm really running not only running the company, but also running our sales right now. Um, Just given the stage and size of our company that often falls on the CEO. um, At some point I will bring, you know, be bringing someone in to help me with that. I definitely, uh, the role is definitely outgrowing me. Um, So yeah, that'll that'll be coming soon. And along the lines of bringing in that salesperson, what else is in the future for Pocket Nest in these next coming years? Just growth, 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 growth. So more customers, we're adding a ton to product. We're adding a lot to um, Ashley's, Mar- Ashley's our CMO. So her marketing and engagement team, um, we're, you know, we have 
to add revenue. So we're a venture backed startup, which means we have to just keep growing fast. Um, and so that's where our, our efforts and our focus and everything we do is about growth. That's awesome. As far as the model of Pocket Nest, do you make money on more of a subscription base or how do you go about, or is it ad based? What is your, yeah, like? it's, it's, we get paid based on licensing the software to the financial institutions. So their end users never pay anything. We're just getting paid on how many um, users from our customers audience is using the platform. Okay, great. Really cool. So yeah, subscription. Subscription. Okay, great. I know that you were in the industry for such a long time before starting Pocket Nest. Do you think in order to go and like start your own business or go into wealth management on your own, you should work in the industry for get that industry experience at a big firm? I do. And and not because I think specific to wealth management, you need that. Although I will say specific to wealth management, I think you've got to get um, like learning how to do something by the book. I think it, it, my 10 years at, or nine years at Plant Marie and Financial Advisors, um, which is an accounting firm um, originally, I feel like I learned real financial planning from accountants, which is like, everything is black or white. There's no, there, there's only the right way to do things. Um, and so I think that gave me a really good sense of the right way to do things and, and you know, very deep technical knowledge. Um, but I would say even, you know, even when I've seen kind of young professionals starting in the startup world. I think that's fine, but I think everybody should have that big corporate company under their belt because I think you learn a lot about, um, again, kind of this like right way, wrong way ways to do things. But I think you also learn like anything, there's pros and cons in working with a big corporate company. So, um, I think my team now, we count our blessings being at a small company because we've all had that big company experience where we like, you know, we love the flexibility. We love the informalness. We love that we can banter as much as we do. So I think everybody should aim to get a couple of years at a huge company and then also a couple of years at a small company to see what, what fits better. That's great advice. I know that'll be really beneficial here for a lot of our listeners who are juggling a lot of different internships, job options. So just hearing your perspective is really great on that. And I do think it's best if you can to start with the big corporate job. I just think getting all of that under your belt. um, and, And ideally I would say like three to five years of that, even if it's not all in one stint. Yeah, great. No, that's really awesome to hear your view on that. Do you think there's anything within wealth management that's not talked about enough or is there anything you want to touch on that's just should be brought light to? Um, I think there's a couple things that come to mind. One, obviously I'm on a mission to bring financial wellness to the masses. And so I, I wish we talked a lot more about traditional, no, I wish we talked a lot more about what financial wellness means. And I know that's such a buzzword, but just helping the everyday person, um, or let's say helping like the broad mass of us population understand personal finance. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be perfect. Everybody does not need their own individual advisor, but I think, I think we can do a hell of a lot better to get people from you know, significant debt, not understanding when they would need some sort of like estate 
guardianship documents, um, you know, not knowing anything about taxes. I, I just think we can do a lot better to teach. And I don't know if this is through the education system or, you know, the, the corporate worlds, but um, I just think we need to, we can do better and that, that we should be able to, more people should understand basic finance. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is as an industry, we are so focused on investments. Um, instead of that financial wellness or just general financial planning. And the reason why is because over the last 50 years, we've been paid based on investments, either by trading, um, receiving commissions from trading or from you know, percentage of assets. So we're so focused on investments that we are teaching, I think, the U.S. world that everybody should be investing. And the truth is there's like 10 steps that come before whether or not you open up a micro trading account at Acorns and buy micro shares of Tesla. Like, let's deal with debt first. Let's deal with student debt. Let's deal with credit card debt. Let's talk about, you know, having money in a 401k and getting an employer match. So that's something that, again, I think we can just do a lot better. Um, everybody doesn't need a trading account, but I think we need to teach people when they do, when, when it's time for that to make sense. I think that's fantastic. I really like your views on those. As far as just our listeners, I told you it's mostly students. Do you have any words of advice just for the podcast as a whole as we part? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. That's a hard one. What, what kind of advice do you give young, you know, students? Go get them. Do well. <laughs> um, find your confidence early, uh, which is not easy. And and by the way, um, I still significantly struggle with imposter syndrome. I'm everybody does, and I think females even more than um, women more than men. But yeah, it's imposter syndrome is totally real. So don't let that bother you. But also just you know just keep trying to find your strengths and focus on your strengths. And um, I think that's another, uh, uh, an issue that I saw with big companies in the corporate world is that there's this push that like, everybody should be able to do everything instead of this focus on, oh, Abby's strengths are here and Jessica's strengths are here. And yeah, like Jessica, I mean, we joke with our team all the time that I'm like 80% is good enough. I'm, I'm like, go, go, go. 80% is good enough where my CTO, Chris is such a perfectionist. And it, it, it took us like a week to realize that together they're really great strengths. And so he's quick to slow me down when I'm like, let's just build this. And he's like, well, here's the obstacles we need to consider. Um, and, and that makes us really, really strong together. But if, if, you know, if I had to be both focusing on obstacles as well as like push towards speed and Chris had to be doing the same like that that's stupid so I think in the that's another thing I saw a lot with big companies is that you know I, I think there's a focus on everybody should be great of everything instead of like more siloed here's what you're really good at so I don't know if there's advice in there just <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome Jessica, I cannot thank you enough for coming oh, on today you. your advice has been invaluable to me to the other listeners and we just really appreciate you taking the time Thank you, Abby. I really appreciate it. Good, good luck to you and good luck to all those listeners out there. If you like what you just heard, please like, comment, and share. This is Sarah Kahn, producer of the MSU WMA podcast. MSU WMA, or Michigan State Wealth Management Association, is a student-run organization part of Broad College of Business, located in East Lansing, Michigan. Our mission is to inspire and educate next generation of financial planners. Thank you for listening on today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please check us out on our channels on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
and check us out on our socials at MSUWMA and MSUWMA.com.